Welcome everyone to Seek Go Create. Tim Winters, your host here. Great conversation today. We're going to be talking about leadership. I think we're going to talk some things about legacy. And I think we're going to have a heavy dose of conversation about prayer today. So I'm glad you're here. Just want to let everybody know I'm Tim Winters. I'm an executive coach. I work with leaders, leadership teams, and I'm your host here at Seek Go Create. This is where we talk about redefining success in leadership, business, and ministry. We mash all those together. Today's conversation, I believe we're going to have elements of all of those. Today, we have Don Newman as our guest. He's got experience in ministry and building leaders. So we got ministry, we got leadership. And uh, again, we're going to talk about le legacy. He is a born storyteller. He infuses his insights on life and leadership into both his writing and his speaking as a pastor, conference speaker, legacy coach. He's got some books that are out, Respond Up. He talks about the secret to intentionally employing disappointment, betrayal, and temptation, and transforming them into a vehicle that delivers you to your destiny. And uh, his second book, Don't Just Speak It, Write It, he actually tells pastors how they can become a published author. And I'm excited because I got an advanced copy of his recent book. In fact, I'm not even sure when it's scheduled to release. It may have released by the time this this releases, but it's Praying for Rain, and I have been able to review most of that book. I'm excited to have the discussion. Don, welcome to Seat Go Create. Tim, thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with someone about uh, not only what God's been doing in my life and what I've been writing about, but I love talking with someone who's on the cutting edge of helping people learn how to be better at what they're doing, especially in the area of leadership. So I'm excited to be here. Excited you're here. I, I've, I don't know that I've ever considered myself on the cutting edge, but I'll take that. I'll accept that, receive it and own it. Thank you for, uh, for stating that. Hey, Don, let's, um, let's kind of start with my question that I like to get going with just to kind of get the juices flowing. Uh, we met, really, we met about 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago, but let's just say we're out and about, we're somewhere business setting or even on a plane or something like that. We bump into each other and I say, hey, Don, I'm Tim. What do you do? What do you tell people when they ask you what you do? Well, as most people do, you always refer to your career and what your occupation is. And currently I'm the executive director of publishing for Salem Author uh, Services or Zulon Press. There's a number, excuse me, there's a number of imprints that we actually work with, but uh, I help people publish their books. And, um, you know, but that's not all of who I am. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. I've uh, been involved as a church planter, as an associate pastor, as a senior pastor. And also, I've been a legacy coach. Um, where I'm actually involved with helping coaching people on how they can leave a lasting legacy. And that's something that I've been doing for uh, a few years, but actually living it uh, for years. Outside of that, I'm a husband, fixing to be 40 years married. Uh, I'm a dad, three children, and now I'm a grandfather. Again, we just had uh, our seventh grandchild just a few days ago. Seventh grandchild, well, we're only at two. And I tell people all the time that if I were to rank the best things ever in life, I'm pretty confident grandparenting wins. Like, yes. would you agree with that? Let's, oh. let's, let's, let's give some people hope that might be in the early parenting stage or parenting, give them just a brief glimpse of what grandparenting is like. 
yeah. yeah. Grandparenting. Um, in fact, if somebody said me what said to me, what's the most difficult thing about grandparenting? The most difficult thing about grandparenting is when my children are needing to discipline my grandchildren and want to do it when I'm present. Uh, because when you're a parent, you know, there's so many things you have to do that obviously are important to shape and mold and, and, and raise your children. But when you become a grandparent, man, it's like, man, I just get the best stuff. I get the best stuff. Uh, I get to play. I don't have to worry about all the ins and outs. Not that we let them run wild, but that's not what I have to do on this go around. This go around, I get to be the the grandpa that they sit in my lap or that I take to the park or we take them to Disney and I tell them stories and, and I have an office at home that <clears throat> I have a lot of drawers with a lot of stuff and they just love to go through it and make memories. And I think you're so busy, you know, Tim, what I think it is, is, uh, I mean, I had a great, uh, my children are awesome. I have three children and what a wonderful experience of, seeing them become who they've become. But I felt like I was so busy trying to work, manage my life, take care of the family and, and get us to where we needed to go that I didn't have the time to tell stories and hear things at the level that I'm able to now. And so being a grandparent is uh, your reward for being a parent is the way I like to say it. So, so you want to, let's have a, a deep theological yeah. discourse here right off the get right out of the gate. I I think it's been on two episodes. I was talking to people and we somehow came up with this grandparenting thing. And and I had this thought pop to my mind that I still have not put a lot of thought into. But it went something like this. I'm going to say it and you could respond and say, yeah. Tim, you are way off track, or <laughs> huh, that's interesting. But my thought was is that the way that God interacts with most of us is as his children, because we need constant supervision, scolding, correction, rebuke, all that type stuff. But his desire is to interact with us like grandchildren, where it is just that pure joy wow. where we're just all having fun all the time. Now, I can't really find scripture for that. It might be bad theology, but I think only a grandparent can even say that. What are your thoughts? No, that's a, you know, there's a lot of things. It's bad theology, but it's true in, in <laughs> representing, uh, you know, you might be creating something new here that we'll see. This <laughs> I don't want to, no, don't put that on me. <laughs> but um, the, um, the idea that the thing that you get to really enjoy as a grandparent um, is what you, you know, you work so hard for when raising a family. That's why they say it's the reward. So maybe, maybe the development years of us as his children, you know, the Bible talks about us being a child, but we're like heirs that are in training, you know, and eventually what is the goal? The goal is maturity to become a, a, a joint heir, a, a mature son or a daughter. And mm -hmm. so maybe in a sense, there is a training stage that is just like being a parent, but then there's this wonderful kingdom age that, you know, we come into eventually <clears throat> where eternally, man, there's not the same lessons to learn. We've been 
molded and shaped and the fellowship. So I think it's a wonderful illustration of, of, of seeing us as his children, but he longs to have that relationship with us. That's the same as having a grandchild. Yeah. And another thing, and, and this, to me, this is a legacy conversation that we're starting off with right here. Even though as fun as it is, we could talk about all the cool stuff and all. Um, I, I think about this and, you know, as a parent, I was looking for all the corrections, adjustments, the things I needed to quote unquote, train them up, train them up. I got to train them up. Yeah. I think as I've matured, gotten older, whatever term I might want to use, I realized that maybe there wasn't as much of the minutia and details I should have been bogged down with, maybe looking at bigger picture, because I don't really look to train up my grandkids. I look to encourage. I look to uplift. I look to find all the fun stuff and do do the one thing that I think really is legacy. And I'll love to get your comments on this. That is point them to Christ, point them to their, their true Absolutely. legacy, which is their spiritual foundation. So uh, thoughts? No, I think that, I think that is exactly right. You know, I like to, um, you know, I said to somebody the other day, I'm, fixing to turn i'm getting ready to turn 60 here this next year and i said to someone I said, we're the same age by the way are we okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're we're the end of the baby boomers you know um and if i'd have had the wisdom i have now when i was in my 20s you know you think back and you go wow if i would have only understood you know those different things and so i think that is what is so wonderful for those that are blessed to have, you know, great parents, but grandparents nearby. I mean, you know, unfortunately, I know there's someone listening today that they didn't have that. And my heart goes yeah. out to them, but they can become that for their own children or grandchildren, or if they don't have children for nieces or nephews. You know, there's some awesome uncles out there and aunts that have made a huge difference uh, in children uh, in generations. And, you know, and I think, God, why is God passionate about legacy? Because I, I absolutely believe he is because he's a gen, he's generational. And so when these circles are functioning as they should be, and we're in a fallen world, I understand that, man, there's nothing like having the love and support of parents that love each other, but then they love the kids, but then you've got grandparents that are passing on that. There, there's nothing more sound especially when it's spiritual legacy that's being passed on. Uh, and I was gifted uh, to be able to have that. I didn't have all my grandparents. My dad's parents had died in a car crash <clears throat> before I was born. I never met them, but his siblings got together for reunions twice a year. So I got to know them through stories. I have pictures and all of that. But then my grandparents on my mother's side, I have at home, uh, my dad's Bible, who recently passed away on a shelf, my grandmother's Bible, my great-grandmother's Bible, my great-great-aunt's Bible, who was a Nazarene, her and her husband were Nazarene pastors, and I have my great-great-grandmother's songbook that was from Scotland. And even though I didn't know the great-great-grandmother and the legacy that's been passed down, that's been assured to me, has made a huge impact in my life. It's almost like running a race and you feel like someone gave you a baton. They gave you a baton early. They gave, you didn't start way behind. 
So I look at grandparents and I think, you know, you may be up in years, even, you know, you may be a great grandparent, but your significant influence upon those children, both in relationship, stories, things that are passed on. And, you know, in the area that you, my book was about recently in prayer is so, so significant. So it's not something we just get to enjoy it. We really can make an impact and add to what our children are doing and see, you know, this go on for future generations. Uh, I'll tell you one little thing that I'm doing and I'd love to say I thought of it. I didn't, a friend of mine told me, but I took it immediately um, is that I have a journal. I've been journaling since 1987. So mm -hmm. I have 30 something years of journals just, you know, <clears throat> but I have seven journals one for each of my grandchildren. And I write my prayers I'm praying for them. I write little quips or little quotes or little things that I, I want to pass on. And I write something special on their birthday or just when I feel motivated to. And the goal is to give each of them that journal on their wedding day. And, um, and the thing that I find myself is this incredible joy that I feel when I'm not only writing my heart toward them and passing something on, but also, you know, I, I always end it with love granddaddy, love granddaddy, and just assuring them of that because who wouldn't, like if I told you right now, hey, Tim, you and I've never met, but we're actually distant cousins. I have our great, great grandfather's journal where he prayed for us and didn't even know our names. Would you like a copy? Of course you'd love a copy. So being intentional in, in, in being that person that's present to love and encourage, you're exactly right. I, that's why I want out of the room when discipline has to happen because it contradicts yeah. my encouragement that I just gave. And I don't want to, you know, they've got to do the discipline. I had to do it to them. Uh, but uh, I want to come back and encourage afterwards. Uh, so I know I said a lot, but I'm passionate about seeing that legacy continue and i'm always thinking what can we do to make another memory what can we do to yeah. create something that creates a memory that will will stay in their heart and mind for years yeah the, the i love that i wrote that down i'm sitting here going hmm i i need to implement something like that and here's the reason why my father passed away early december this last year 2022 oh, i hear that he had been, you know, had cognitive dementia issues and things mm -hmm. like that. And one of the things that I kind of hungered for was to find some stuff that he had written. Yeah. A and I haven't found it yet. I've got, you know, we've gone through his office and things like that. He was, he worked in education and things like that. So he wrote a lot of business things, but didn't really write anything specifically. We've got a few Bibles and didn't really see notes and things like in that. But uh, so I think that's interesting. The reason why that's cool also, Don, is because his parents were probably two of the strongest spiritual people that we have in the legacy that I have personally. Uh, you know, strong, simple people, business people, but one of the most cherished things we have is it was an old amplified Bible that we were visiting mm -hmm. them. My wife and I were visiting them in the early nineties. 
And I was just thumbing through the Bibles. And in the beginning of that Bible, I saw a prayer. We called him Pop James. There was a prayer that Pop James had prayed for his family Mm. and had the date with it and all that. Well, at his funeral, one of the things that I was able to do, because I had gathered this at some point, and it was amazing how of all the things, of all the stuff, of all the quote unquote, I did air quotes for those listening, legacy items. Right. That written prayer is the one that people have asked for copies of. They want it the most. Dad had six or seven brothers and sisters. There's grandkids all over. So I, I love that. I think writing is powerful. And I think it's something we don't do enough in our culture today. I agree. I agree. Even uh, someone asked me recently, you know, because I'm I'm constantly listening. I mean, just the idea with the journals. I heard it years ago when my first granddaughter had come along. And so all of them, um, you know, get these journals. And uh, on the day that they were born, I started. And well, actually, when I find out they're expected, I, my prayers, you know. And uh, but listening to other people. Well, someone asked me the other day, we were sharing things. How can you create legacy? And, you know, this is so practical. But think about how powerful this is. Take the time to print some of the pictures and write on them. Because who knows if they're going to see your cloud? You know, I, I joke and say the whole reason they invented the cloud was for grandparents so they can put more pictures in the sky because their phones, you know, they, it doesn't matter how big they build the phones. I'm going to fill it with videos and pictures and stuff. But, you know, I've got pictures at home of of great great grandparents and my mom has written on the back of all of them and i know the year i know who was in the picture and i knew what they were doing that day and my mom has even written things like this was a happy day or or something and i'm able to pass that on and i'm able to really understand that whereas if it was all just in the cloud would it get passed on i mean just practical things like that um because just like you said, when you said it, I, I immediately I knew uh, everyone wants a copy of that prayer. Why? Because that tells them who they are. That tell, People find out who they are and understand more about who they are when they understand where they've come from. You know, uh, I've got a good friend that told me that it took 40 years to find his actual birth parents, and he'd given up twice. But then when he found his actual birth parents, the unbelievable things he found out about himself and even found out that he was very much like his dad was an athlete and just all the different things. Well, <clears throat> you know, I think in, in life and in spiritual life, which matters even more, they mirror each other. And, you know, think about the enemy, you know, Satan comes to try and steal our identity. He tries to, to get us to not believe who we really are. If we are a child of God, constantly bombarding us well the same is true in legacy and in family and when you can have that legacy intact and know who you are as a child of god and really know that but then you know who you are in your family it's so powerful yeah the interesting thing about it is kind of one of the reasons why i asked that question that i do right when we get started you know what do you do because you learn a lot about people you know some people will give a title some people will give you know, family and, and it's really actually, I think a bad question, truthfully, 
because it implies that what you do is who you are. And I actually think that that's incorrect, but we ask it in our culture society, you know, and so, so I think it's cool. I did want to circle back though, because earlier you used a word that I don't hear as often anymore as I used to. And I think we also, uh, you mentioned you're coming up on your 60th birthday, which I am in November also. When's, when, are you, when are you 60? When do you hit 60? September 5th. So All right. I'll, so you'll hit, hit it right before you. So a couple months before me, yeah, I came home from the hospital the day JFK was shot. So you're 63, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I always said that I was a baby a few months uh, old uh, on that date because it's such a you know, my parents would talk about that day where they were. And so, you know, I kind of looked at it and said, well, man, I didn't know anything about it. I, I remember the moon. You probably remember the moon. I, you know, we were young yeah. kids, but, um, but that us that were born in that 63 year, uh, that's kind of a, a marker for all of us. It is. It's a very interesting year too, because they do claim that that's like the last year of baby boomers. And then, things change. I, you know, I may circle back to this, but I also think that our generation has some unique perspective on moving from simpler times, whatever terms we want to use to the digital age and all that we're in now. But I, I want to come back to that. Oh, yeah, you can, also you can get me down a rabbit trail with that. We were, yeah, the, I, we were the end of the wonder years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't want it to be like a couple of quote unquote old dudes sitting around yeah. talking about the good old we're days. Not where we're nobody's getting anything out of it. Everybody's going, Oh my gosh, what's uh, up? Awesome. What are they doing here? But, uh, but you did, you used a word and, and I'm going to give you the exact uh, pronunciation. You said fixing no G on the end earlier. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I was raised, I was born and raised in uh, North Florida, Tallahassee. I was born in Tallahassee. Which is, which is the same as South Georgia, just for those it's, that may not know. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. You know, if you go a little bit west of there, that's what they call LA, not uh, LA, California, but lower Alabama. Yeah. And, uh, and so I grew up, I am a Floridian, uh, generational. My uh, distant ancestor was one of the first people here, and he was the first sheriff of Hillsborough County, my great-great-grandfather, in uh, 1840, before Florida became a state. So I am a true Floridian, and uh, growing up in Tallahassee, that's where the South Georgia accent comes from. And so, and then my parents, um, uh, although uh, they also Florida roots go back into Alabama and Georgia. So true, true Southern heritage there. And that's where the accent comes from. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I, fixing is, is one of those words that uh, uh, comes out every now and then you can tell when I'm comfortable that uh, that's going to be a <laughs> word. I use. Well, I'm a you know, I'm originally from Georgia, grew up in a little town just outside of Atlanta. I'm, I'm actually in Atlanta right now or with, uh, with my mother-in-law doing some caretaking here. And, and it's interesting that our little town got swallowed up by Atlanta, which changed a good bit as the seventies, eighties and all moved along. But my wife and I still recognize things like fixing, you know, you, you don't, you know, we've traveled a good bit out West and all over and you don't go into a store and get a shopping cart. You get a buggy. Buggy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to finish my sentence. You know, it's oh, a no, buggy. We're no, going to no, get a buggy. You that, that's what came in my mind was you get a buggy. 
Yeah. And you go, you go out You're, I mean, our, our RV is currently in Southern Utah. You ask for a buggy and they look at you like, oh, what are man. you talking about? So it, it's interesting. Give me a couple of uh, pros, some good stuff about growing up, like in that, that uh, culture, which is Bible belt. So you're hardcore Bible belt. And, and in the same breath, I also want you to give a couple of cons. We are, I think, you know, kind of our underlying theme here is redefining success. We don't just take things for what they are. We ask questions and poke at things. So give a couple of good, good things about the legacy and all for growing up there. And then a couple of things that you've had to overcome because of that, because I've got them. I can list them out myself. Yes. um, Definitely. You know, I mean, you think of the, you think of the simpler times as a kid, you know, I looked at a picture, I I kind of, I'm going to go a couple different places here, but it'll all bring it together because this is very interesting. You know, um, I saw someone who shared a picture and it was their family at Walt Disney world, uh, back when it opened in the seventies, early seventies. And it's a picture of them now sitting at the same place they were trying to recreate and obviously they're older obviously some of the stuff had changed but you know the big thing that stuck out was they're sitting there eating ice cream looking around talking in the old picture the new picture everyone's on their cell phone Mm -hmm. and you know we didn't have that i mean we didn't have that a few years ago i mean our kids did but you think about car trips you know, I mean, part of part of me is like, man, I wish we would have had that back then. I could have watched a movie when we took that long ride. But, um, you know, the, the, the communication, I think um, there's a great book. If you haven't read this book, I just recommended it to someone. John Ortberg wrote a book called Soul Keeping. And uh, the number one thing I love about that book, there's so much in that book, but he makes a statement where Dallas Willard told him the greatest thing you've got to do to be successful in ministry is you've got to eliminate hurry because hurry is the greatest enemy of your spiritual life. That Jesus was busy, but he was never in a hurry. <clears throat> and we are suffering with hurry sickness like never before, um, you know, in such a way. And so I think about the unhurried, you know, you remember eating a popsicle and watching it melt? You know, um, you sit there, you didn't have a swimming pool, but you had a sprinkler and you turned it on. Um, and did you drink had, out of the hose? Did you drink out of the I hose pipe? Absolutely did. I and you're not dead. You lived, you lived to tell the story. I did. I did. <laughs> yes. Um, I drank out of the hose a lot. I mean, especially if you're out there, you know, doing all this, but you think about, we made our own fun. Um, you know, we'd go into the rag closet at my grandmother's. I wrote an article about taking trips to my grandmother's when I was in college, just when I first knew I'd be a writer. I never, ever, ever thought I'd be a writer. But when I was in college, I wrote an article about trips to my grandmother's and they posted it in the paper because it was so descriptive. That's because everything was so alive to me when I'd go on those trips to North Alabama and visit her. Well, she had a rag closet and my cousins and I would go in there and put on shows and take rags and <clears throat> create. We didn't have a, 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 you know, a bunch of video games or there was games that we'd get on the table and play checkers and Chinese checkers and Parcheesi and stuff. But 
it seemed to me that the age that we were in was of, and this is the good, the, the pro, was great imagination and simplicity and time to think. You know, uh, one of my favorite memories is walking barefoot down a dirt road to go to a little pond to, to fish for brim. And just to have my little tackle box and, you know, Sandy Griffith. I mean, you know, you, you look at that. <clears throat> and so, you know, obviously the world is a lot faster now. It's different. But I love to see my children raising their children with some parameters on the electronics that give them room to be creative and to think and to, you know, girls, I have a lot of granddaughters, six granddaughters, you know, that go play Barbies. And, and That's my two, my two are granddaughters too. And, and it's awesome. <laughs> it is. Oh man. I got one grandson and you know, when he's in the house, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, when he's out, I love him to death. And, but boy, all of a sudden it, it's like a bunch of cats that are in there and a dog comes in. I mean, he just, and they love him to death, but boy, it's a different, but you look at the, you look at that period of time and uh, it was a big deal to drive uptown and go to McDonald's and get some hamburgers. It's like you look at things and it was at the age of exploration. You know, we were coming, you know, our, our, you know, our generation, we were coming through, you know, Vietnam war. But if you're like me, we were too young and playing sports that we were not so caught up in it, but we're going to the moon and things are happening. You, you ever looked, uh, I read something a while back and I don't have it in front of me, I can quote it, but it talked about the changes that went from the fifties to 2000 is unbelievable. The amount of changes. So we were in that stage, but family, family trips to go see other family. You know, I don't, I mean, Lord help. How did we survive not wearing seatbelts in those cars and sleeping on the seat across and sleeping on the, you know, on the, on the little dash behind the wind on the windshield in the back. Someone always had that. <laughs> oh yeah. Prime, prime yeah, spot. And, I'm... No, I, I did that. That was a prime spot. <laughs> you could see the stars, you know, and uh, no, absolutely. But, um, you know, so to try and pass that on in this current generation where it is so much yeah. faster, uh, I love that I see my children when they come to stay with us and there's parameters and we play a lot of board games with our grandchildren. My grandchildren are addicted to Monopoly and that's a long game. And uh, I love it because, you know, I can beat them most of the time. I don't try to, but uh, but we sit there and we laugh, we tell stories, we joke, but they play. And they do things that are creative rather than sit in front of the TV the entire time or do things. So I, there are things in our generation that I look at that, man, they're just, there's just no substitute for. It also seems another pro was my dad. Uh, I'll tell you this story real quick because uh, this is a huge thing in my life. <clears throat> my dad was a prison guard at a federal prison. My mom worked for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And my dad worked shift work. My mom worked eight to five, Monday through Friday. And all of us boys, there were three sons. We were all very involved in sports, baseball, football. And my dad would go work those shifts, 
but he'd come home and warm me up before my ball game and go to my ball game and come get take a nap. It's almost like my parents made it a priority that, look, we're going to do this, but we're going to be there for your events. So I, my heart goes out when I talk to somebody and they tell me my parents never did that because here's what it did in my life. My brother played college ball, football. I played high school, coached high school football. My, uh, we all played baseball. Very fulfilling, you know, time of involvement in our sports. And, and uh, mom and dad right there warming us up and coming to our games. And <clears throat> later on in years, I became a state trooper. I was a state trooper. Uh, law enforcement before I became a pastor. I was riding around in my patrol car one night and I was tuning the radio. And this is North Florida. This will take maybe you back because I'm South Georgia. You know, it's football's big too. And, you know, I went across the dial and here it was. It was a Friday night football game and I'm listening to the announcer and it's a team we played against. Now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid 30s now and i'm listening to this and it took me back and i heard the lord speak to me in my heart and and tim he said to me do you know why you've never doubted that i love you because tim i never have even though i'm not perfect and i fail now i'm not better than anybody and when i tell this i'm trying to emphasize something that any of us can do going forward with our kids i said well lord um I don't think I've ever doubted that. I mean, I, Lord, forgive me. I messed up, but I've just always been assured a Sunday school. And I just kind of going down the list of things. And he said, no, he said, you're listening to it. And I said, football. I said, man, I, I mean, I don't even know if my coaches were saved. I mean, I'm going in my mind, like how did football do this? He said, your parents told you that I loved you and they loved you. And they proved it was all true by coming to your ball games. Hmm. And I realized that that act of being involved in my life and being my cheerleader, and yes, discipline when necessary, but <clears throat> being there uh, assured me and gave me confidence. And they loved each other. Their marriage was strong. wasn't perfect, but they, uh, and they weren't perfect, but it just really settled. So your earlier question, because I want to tell you some of the cons was, there was a value put on God, faith, family values. Uh, and there was the time, even if you had to work around a shift work or an unfulfilling job. And so whatever my parents had received or made the decision to live that way, created an atmosphere for us to soar and to mm -hmm. be confident. And, um, and I'm so thankful for my parents. My dad passed about five years ago. My mom is still alive, but, uh, I'm forever, ever thankful for what well, they did in my life. A couple of things before we get to the cons that I want to chime in here on. Uh, one thing I want to, I want to make note, uh, that I so agree with the comment statements you made about the, the busyness. And I, I, we actually, and we'll include a link down in the notes. I recorded an episode for seat, go create here. I think it released in early January and the title is Jesus never hustled. Why should we? Oh, wow. Because there's this hustle culture 
that we have, and I've read the Gospels multiple times. I'm sure you have too. And I and I do find that there was a lot going on, especially during those three years of ministry. But I can't find a scripture that it says, and Jesus and the disciples picked up their, you know, tunics and started hustling and they were running across. No, in fact, there was almost a sauntering, (laughs) sauntering that they did, which if anyone ever had an important mission, and I know, and I believe that he was aware of his mission, and I don't know if he knew the exact timing of it. I think maybe he did. He may not have known the deadline. But we think we've got deadlines <laughs> and we don't have deadlines. Wow. He had one. And so if he didn't hustle and all that, so that's one thing. Even but with Lazarus, one, you think about the story of Lazarus. In fact, he was almost. Yeah. Took too long. <laughs> that's a great example. I'll check almost. that episode out because I think that is a, you know, that is a very, very important topic. So please do share that because it is because it's really the opposite of our culture. I think everything in our culture with our I'm holding my phone up and all for people, everything wants us to rush and all that. But we talked about identity earlier when I kind of asked what you did and things like that. And I think you just nailed something that's very important. I'm going to ask you maybe just to say a couple more things about it. Sure. That is the absence of and and a lot of people are going to think, again, this is kind of some old school the absence of a father figure in most relationships is why so many people have difficulty receiving what God has for them. Yes. And, and I think one of the biggest things the enemy's done is taken that family structure and we're not going to get into quote unquote, whatever that looks like. Cause I think sure. it could look like some different things. My wife came from a single parent family and there's a lot of them out there, <clears throat> but the identity that most people have is, Fathers abandon. Fathers aren't around. Fathers will raise a hand every once in a while. I shouldn't say most, a large number of people have that. And unfortunately, our culture, our television, our entertainment, things like that just reinforces or drives that one or the other. Say one more thing or two about the importance of the father figure that that we all would love to have some may not have it maybe i'll ask you to speak to the ones that don't have it that that might be a little bit of a ministry to them yeah no absolutely well in god's perfect picture we live in a fallen world but the perfect picture is that family unit with with the father being that, that sense of stability and, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, we talk about fathers and daughters and how important that is, uh, but fathers and sons is equally as important. It's, it's as a child, it is the lens that we see God through, um, you know, and I had a hard time, you know, when I was ministering to people that had a hard time, you know, I just shared that about never doubting the father's love again, not to my credit. I haven't won an award for this. I've just been blessed. But it was hard for me to not to when I was ministering to someone, Tim, that was struggling with that and they just messed up or are the only way that, you know, I'm working day and night trying to get approval from somebody because I never got approval from my father. <clears throat> and I'd be trying to minister to them and reassure them of the father's love and they just couldn't get it. And um, and it and it because I didn't have that experience. I had to spend time and listen to people. And obviously you read a lot, you hear a lot, 
And I began to under, I began to understand that my experience, uh, unfortunately, wasn't the norm for a lot of people that were in my churches where I pastored. And, and a lot of these people, they didn't see the welcoming father. I mean, I blow it and I feel, con I feel conviction. I don't feel condemnation and I get right with him. And man, the ring's back on the finger again. The robe is on my back instantly. And now I'm back to living as his son, not I've got to prove myself. I've got to stay out here in the pig pen. But I'd have people that couldn't do that. And I began to realize <clears throat> that they had had a bad model that had formed such an image within their psyche, within their soul, that no matter how much I told them God is love, they would say, well, why wasn't my father that way? Or maybe they didn't even make the comparison. They just naturally saw through the lens of their natural father that that's the way fathers are. And you got to prove yourself. So I'm going to go be perfect. And when I fail, he's going to reject me. And uh, <clears throat> so, so that has made me be very, very sensitive to people who didn't have my experience. And to find ways to help connect them to their heavenly father and through his word and through mercy and through grace, rewrite that picture. And it can take years. That's the work of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, you know, and, and the community uh, of Christ, uh, you know, the church. <clears throat> but when that support comes, it's a wonderful thing to see someone finally connect, almost like they come in the room and go, he is good. And you know what happens? simultaneously the healing of the picture that's the healing of who he really is but also the forgiveness of, mm. of the father they didn't have uh so i'm i'm constantly looking for how can i minister to that because what happens is then that gets passed on if it isn't corrected now my dad had lost his parents my mom had had uh, an alcoholic father uh, that i never met uh, but both of them through Christ, the relationship, the rewiring and repicturing. So they said, we didn't get it. We're going to give it to our kids. So I think what happened is they got healed through their relationship with Christ. And they just determined the greatest influence and or the greatest impact we can make in the world is we'll go to church, but we can't do everything at church, but we can do everything with this, our family. And, and they've sown into all of us. We all have this experience. Um, and so the other thing, the flip side of that to add to that is I'm a strong supporter and will do everything that I can through prayer, uh, whatever way I can to support those that are like the Tony Dungies and the people that are actively trying to give father figures to those that don't even have a clue. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about the prisons and we talk about the population in prison that so many of them, unfortunately, didn't have that father model. So it's, it's invaluable. Um, mm. And so, again, you know, you've, we, we've all heard the illustration about there's all these starfish on the beach. What can you do? <clears throat> well, I can only throw one, but at least I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. I think if everyone can understand that you can make a difference first off within your own family, within your own home, grandchildren. But then uh, I've got people in the current role I'm in, I've got people that refer to me, you're the best father I've ever had. 
And I'm not trying to take the place of their father. I'm just trying to be that. I'm trying to, like you said, who are you? I'm not an executive director. I'm a son. I'm a son of God. I'm, I'm an heir, but I'm also a father, uh, you know, and um, I think it's so, so important. You know, we could talk, there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I think mm -hmm. it's significant to support, get these dads. Some of these dads are condemning themselves because they failed you know, get them around men. You know, I, 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 I went to the first promise keepers and I supported promise keepers for several years, went to them and man, I saw guys that were Baptist, Pentecostal, you know, Lutheran. I mean, who knew, you know, but man, you just felt like, man, I've got support. I've got somebody that understands me. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to let people know what I'm af afraid of. Hmm. And to have more of that, uh, you know, the Kendrick brothers put out a, a movie here a while back. One of my authors actually is part of that called Show Me the Father. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see that. It's so powerful. But again, those things that can help us, you know, be as Isaiah, Isaiah 58, repair, you know, the, the repairer of the, the, the streets to dwell in, to raise up the foundations, to repair, restoration. Uh, because man, if we, if we can turn fathers, if we can minister to fathers and we can strengthen fathers, we can change generations. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is interesting. You brought up promise keepers. It really, it, it's, it's, it's a man problem. <laughs> it's a man problem. Fathers are a subset, obviously of men. And that's definitely something to address. Uh, let's real quickly, because I want to get to prayer. I want to. I've got a lot of questions related to praying for rain that I want us to get to here. I'm watching time. Give me just a few cons of growing up in that deep South environment that you did, and then we're going to start talking about some some things I picked up from praying praying for rain. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> the cons. Um, number one con would have been not that it was my parents did this on purpose or anybody, because my parents were very loving people, but obviously. You know, I grew up in a, a very racially charged uh, environment. And, yeah. um, you know, I can sit here and tell you, because I did, I played baseball and football and I never, ever mistreated anybody. But I don't know, I've asked questions over the years because even being in law enforcement, I've said to good friends of mine, you know, tell me, how do you feel that are African-American? How do you feel when you get pulled over? And they tell me. They're terrified. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, and I don't feel that way, but right. I need to understand how they feel. And, mm -hmm. and I take the time to listen to that. And so we grew up in a very, uh, you know, segregated, uh, segregation was not as big, you know, going on when, you know, I was a young kid, but we're coming out of it, but the residue was there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I inherited some things, you know, I talk about the great things you inherit, you know, my parents didn't purposely pass this down to me. They inherited it. They right. were part of that. And so, um, you know, uh, even, even the view now, my dad, I never saw him disrespect a woman, but you know, uh, women weren't viewed the same way back then race was not viewed. So there was a lot of wonderful things that went on, but there were some cons and those cons mm. uh, to me 
went around the areas of like, I don't want to go back to those good old days. Yeah. At yeah, all. I, period. I'm, I am so thankful. Uh, you know, the church again, I have seen so much. Now there are some churches that still exist in, and that's not to bring that subject up, but I have seen incredible healing and understanding and true reconciliation that has come through the body of Christ. And so mm. I'm thankful that we don't live in that period anymore. And now, um, you know, we, we, we can see each other as brothers and sisters, you know, no matter what our color of our skin is. And so that, that would be the cons. Yeah. That, and there's a lot of, I'm in very much agreement with you when my wife and I started traveling about 10 years ago, somehow we ended up on the South Island of New Zealand, which if you look at a globe, it's almost the farthest one can be from Atlanta, Georgia. And we were just spending a lot of time in prayer and just studying the word. And we realized at that point that we had grown up in a very uh, racially, um, there was a spirit, there was like a racist cloud that hung over where we had been and that we needed to do some purging, even though like you, I would, wouldn't have thought that I ever did anything, but, but, you know, just to have some of that in our makeup. And, uh, and I think it's, I think it's healthy to bring it up, even though you and I can't relate to having one of our kids, the, the biggest fear I've heard are friends of mine, very upperly mobile black African-Americans. And one of their biggest fears is one of their children being pulled over. And that's something yeah. I, I don't think about that. So that's, uh, that's yeah. kind of interesting. So go ahead. No, it's, it's, that's the thing is that we're not, you know, none of us are condemning our parents and saying they weren't good parents. We're saying that, uh, you know, like I, I sat and talked with a, I've got a, a friend of mine really close to him. He's African-American and we were, you know, and we were having a great conversation about how wonderful America is that thank God. But we both were talking about, and, and I, this is what he said to me. He said, you know what? He said, we just all got to realize that God has done something in this country. It's a fallen world and there's been a lot of pain, but through the pain, God is bringing something about and he is bringing change. And, and you begin to realize, you know, again, we look at our heroes. David was not perfect. Oh, oh man, Israel, you know, not perfect, but God God is moving something forward. And so we came through a period of time, you know, I don't know if you've seen the movie Woodlawn. It's one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't seen it, if you love, it's an incredible movie that talks about the revival that went on at the end of the first Jesus movement. So it's kind of, it's kind of unique that you think about what's going on now. So I won't go down that trail. We could spend another yeah, hour, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> you see incredible healing happening uh, not because it's anybody's agenda, but because Christ is doing something in the midst of this. And that is what I look and I, and I, you know, I encourage people. I think, you know, don't be afraid to explore that. You're not condemning yourself. You're growing and you're understanding, you know, who doesn't want to understand that? You know, the thing I loved is one of my African-American friends, we had the conversation about being pulled over and what he feels. And he exactly what you said is children but then he said but tell me what you felt as an officer 
And I said, man, the only thing I said, I never thought about this stuff. And I said, I'm not saying I didn't deal with stuff, but I said, I just wanted to go home. I wanted to be alive. And, and I pulled cars over in the middle of nowhere, not knowing who was in the car because the windows were so tinted. And I said, and I started to, he, and he asked questions trying to understand how I felt my fear, you know? So having those conversations are so healthy because it helps us both understand what the other is seeing and going through. And I think a lot of that has happened and is continuing to happen. And that is a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. So somewhere along the way, Don, you uh, decided to write this book on prayer, which yeah. I have I have not been able to do a deep read, but I have scanned most of it. So I picked up uh, some really cool things for it. What was the catalyst for that? I mean, because it, it's a, I'll say it this way, it's not a divisive topic like we have in, in our spiritual or religious circles today. Sure. But it is one that there's varying opinions, thoughts, ideas. You know, it's not as divisive as like, should you tithe or not, or should you know, yes. pray in tongues or not, or you know, the gifts of the spirit and you know all these, all these things. But yes. but, but prayer is like people have talked about it before. So why why did Don need to write a book on prayer? Well, because of my own experience, and obviously, you know, early in the book, one of the chapters is monsters and girlfriends, where prayer begins but it doesn't end. Um. I am constantly looking for better ways to explain what I'm going to explain to you now. It's almost like, you know, I tell people, don't write the book when you're 50, you know, now I'm 50. Don't wait 50 years from now to write the book when you have everything figured out because you're not going to figure everything out. You're growing. Well, I wrote that book in the growing stage. There are things that I know better even after I finished it. it the book helped me even further define it. And one of the illustrations I use is that prayer for me early on was I'll use the mailbox. Okay. Think of your mailbox. For me, prayer was this unknown God that I believed in. I had faith in that I'm putting mail into the mailbox, shutting it or putting it into the post office box. And man, I am, man, I've been, I've done put 50 in there, you know, and, or, you know, or obviously the monsters and girlfriends is my prayers back then were on me, you know, things I was scared of and things I wanted. And uh, that's cool. That's where it begins. And the father wants to hear our heart on that. But prayer went from one being one dimensional to then becoming two dimensional, where it became more of a conversation, but then it became multi multi dimensional. And what mm -hmm. I want to do, the reason I wrote this, I felt called to write it, but I wanted to invite people to understand that there is this marvelous experience relationship with God that is found through prayer that isn't the one dimensional that you're just sending those postcards to heaven hoping he answers and did he answer or not answer and not even just even the conversational relational but more of the partnership and that is something that emerged in my lifetime as I've just always loved prayer and I've studied prayer and you know and I've studied okay, this great intercessor, how did they see things? And, you know, and I'd read things and I began to understand, and, you know, there will be some de debate over a couple things that are in there. Cause I've already had those conversations and I'm, I love having great conversations and a good friend of mine, I assure him, I absolutely 110% plus believe in the sovereignty of God. 
but but <laughs> but when he created the earth and he created man he gave them a place of dominion and he gave them the keys and and he has a wonderful way of still interjecting and and doing things but he didn't want robots he didn't want statues he didn't want more angels he wanted children and in his infinite wisdom he limited himself to an active participation of us both in faith and in prayer and one of the biggest places i mean there's so many scriptures i bring up and i'm and i'm telling people no he's sovereign but he's wanting to produce something and one of one of the stories that i don't tell in the book that you'll get so if you get the book you'll get a story now it's not in the book <clears throat> but this illustrates this is the best illustration and i heard this through the voice of god through his holy spirit is, you know, I think it, I forgot where it's at right now. It's in Matthew. I don't know if it's nine or six. I, I don't, you know, it's one of the times that just, whoop, we're, we're almost 60, Tim. I mean, you know, so anyway, the uh, story is Jesus ministering to all of these people and he takes his disciples and he points to all of these people wandering around and he says, look at this guys. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, he's got compassion and the, the tense, the, 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 the words, the Greek words that are used there are very descriptive of him. Almost like if I could paraphrase him saying, guys, look at this, this has got my heart stirred. Now you would think that he would say, get out there and start bringing in the harvest. Now, obviously he did send them out, but he doesn't just say that there. He says, I need you to, and the word actually almost says beg, beseech me, the Lord of the harvest, the thrust, send out more labors. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Now, I am a director of sales is one of my functions. I have a sales team. And this is exactly what he said to me, which I said, I already knew this, but when he said it, I went, wow. He said, August, August is our biggest month because we have more people that decide I want to publish a book this fall, summer. I've been thinking about it. So August is when we have our biggest push, more authors jump on board, start the process. <clears throat> and we kind of work with that by having some of our biggest sales. It's just, you know, that's what we do. And so the Lord said to me, so that you can understand this, Don, I'm paraphrasing what he spoke in my heart through his spirit, but this is how it was said. So that you can fully understand this, imagine you saying to your sales team in July, hey, guys, guys, I need you to ask me to create a sale in August so that we can have a big August. And I said, I'd never, I'd never do that. I just go do it. I don't need someone to ask me to go do that. That's my job. And this is what he said to me. He said, you would if you had given them the authority. If you had given them the authority and you wanted them to grow into the family business and you wanted them to mature and one of them was going to take your place one day, you would start. Not that we're taking God's place. That's not what I'm saying. You know, it, again, bad theology, but you understand the illustration. Mm -hmm. He said, you would have them to do that. See, yeah. what he said to me was he said, I don't want people doing things for me. 
I want people doing things with me. And mm. he even told me, you know, one of the things he said to me, Don, look in the very beginning of Genesis. You want to look at a good picture of prayer? It doesn't look like prayer. doesn't sound like prayer because people misread prayer. They, they, they don't understand prayer is a relationship, but it's a partnership. He said, let me show you what prayer is. And I went to the story, you know, in the beginning of Genesis where he created the animals and then he had Adam name them. I mean, you think about your own children and picture you picture, you know, you're doing this and your son wants to be part of what you're doing and you're teaching him how to podcast. You're eventually going to give him the keys and let him set it up. And, you know, you're going to do things to help him be successful, but you're not going to say, I'm going to do everything you just watch. See, God doesn't want us to watch. He wants us to participate. And prayer, praying for rain, Jesus taught his disciples when they said, hey, hey, teach us how to pray. We, we, we realize every time you go into the woods and you come out, man, that's what we want to learn. And he taught them. And, uh, you know, and when you look at that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I love to say that when you pray that, particular part of the Lord's prayer, because it's really an outline. It's a beautiful prayer, but it's really, there is so much in there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done is saying, Lord, bring your kingdom. What is kingdom? It is, it is the king's dominion. I want your kingdom in my marriage. I want your kingdom in my job. I want your kingdom, but you're actually not only inviting him, and you think about Ezekiel when the Lord said, I looked for someone to stand in the gap, but couldn't find anybody so that I wouldn't destroy the land. I mean, even when he talked with Abraham and said, will I hide from my friend Abraham what I'm about to do to Sodom? He didn't do that. <clears throat> I think that was a test to see if Abraham would become an intercessor to intercede for Sodom. So he's inviting us into the family business. And, yeah. uh, and that's, that's why I wrote it, because I wanted people to realize you might be bored with prayer, but God, God wants you to understand that prayer really is opposite of genie in the bottle. Genie in the bottle is my wish is his command. He wants his wish and desire to become our command, our decree, really our prayer. And now we're partnering with God, our father in the family business. I like the, uh, I like the aspect of relationship and partnership. And I like the analogy you said at the beginning where, you know, a lot of prayer uh, there's a little bit of a joke we have in our family. We have a family member that says they're hoping and praying. They actually say that yeah. quite a bit. And it kind of reminds me of the mailbox analogy you said at the beginning. And I almost saw like letters to Santa. You know, it's mm. like you're putting these letters to Santa yes. in the mailbox, hoping to get you something back in return. And truthfully, letters to Santa, we know where they're going. They're probably yes. not going anywhere. Well, um, and think about and people. So, think about people that excuse me think about people that um they'll say oh yeah prayer works but why do you fail to work prayer um you know uh, so many people battle with doubt over prayer now they won't voice that necessarily because they feel like they're praying but do you when you read james and it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much you know, Elijah, I mean, he prayed and the rain cut off and then he prayed. Well, you know, that's a great picture too of, you know, here's Elijah that God told him, go tell King Ahab, rain's coming back. Well, why didn't he just go and tell Ahab, hey, rain's coming back? No, he went to the top of Mount Carmel and prayed seven times. 
because because hmm. while God doesn't need our permission, He does seek and require by His wisdom our agreement, our prayer, hmm. because He wants us involved. So you know, you sit there, and I think about you know, Tim. One of the big reasons I wrote it, and that's why the subtitle is "Never Underestimate the Power and Impact Your Prayers," is that some people really doubt that their prayers are being answered, and they don't understand that. God is wanting to invite you into a world of prayer that isn't just, it is praying for the nation. It is God moving you to pray for the president or praying. And sometimes those prayers have got to persist. Prayers are not instant. They're not magic. They're warfare. Uh, Daniel, we can read Daniel, you know, in the 21 days, but, but imagine if somebody can come into this partnership relationship with their heavenly father and begin to actively work within those prayers and find out that many of those prayers are going to be about the people in their lives, their children, and, you know, and get the heart to pray for a child that it took 30 years to pray that child back into the family and back into the Lord. Well, that's the exciting, non-religious, non-boring prayer life that I wanted people to be invited into. No, we're mm. not, we're not praying a physical kingdom of God upon earth and you know, Jesus is still going to return, however your theology sees it, but he is using us to impact and grow his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And, and, and that's, that's what I believe he wants to do in our marriages, our families, our workplace. You know, I talked about the journals, you know, mm -hmm. I believe, I don't believe, I know prayers will outlive me. I, my life will end, but my prayers are eternal. So I am stacking the heavens. I am filling the bowls in heaven on great grandchildren I'll never meet, or great great grandchildren. I'm gonna meet the great greats. But beyond that, and and I and I can feel the enemy like, don't pray, don't pray. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you act religious and you can carry your Bible, but don't pray. And I go, uh huh. I am going to pray because I'm gonna, I'm going to affect the world. In my book, I tell the story that Dr. Dobson has shared so many times of his great-great-grandfather. I, I forgot his name, James McGree. I, I can't remember his name, but he prayed every day, like at noon for 30 minutes for his children and children's children to the seventh generation to be saved. And Dr. Dobson has shared that all of them in that family tree were saved. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, the big thing I'm hoping is, is that Somebody may read chapter eight or somebody may read chapter two, but I'm wanting to invite them into this world of, of being in partnership and relationship because you can't be a partner without being in relationship, but experiencing the fulfillment of being a part of what God is doing in the world through prayer. And this, the elderly, you know, uh, I, one of my big things is, is I've got even my mom, which I, I hope she's listening to this. But I tell my mom who, man, I'm later in years, mom, you know what? I need you to pray. I can give you a list. You, you can, yeah, I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah, but you can pray. You can pray. And the prayers that you pray for me and the children and grandchildren, they will live on. And so anyway, that, 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 that's definitely a passion point for me. And, you know, I love sharing it. One thing I like is that I think uh, some of the things you just said fits with some of our earlier conversation. I think the struggle that a lot of people have with praying to a, a loving 
Abba Father God is they don't have a belief that there is a father identity that's there. So that's really good. I, d- I do want to make sure people know that rain is R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N. So it's a little bit of a play on words there. Yeah. So I do have an important prayer question here. Do, what uh, What's your sports team that you follow? Uh, you have a college team that you follow oh, down yeah. there in Florida? Yeah. I'm, I'm 100% uh, Florida State, FSU. Some All right. So, so here's the deal. And I've got, this is like important prayer question. So if I'm a university of Florida fan and you are a Florida state fan, <laughs> and we are both sitting here praying to God for our team on a Saturday, how does God know which team to pick? Now, do you know the answer to that? <laughs> God laughs at us. <laughs> he went, what you're asking <laughs> that? He even laughed at me for asking it. Yeah. He laughs at us. You know, I believe he laughs. I believe he has the same emotions we do. And I believe that there are times that he just, you know, laugh. And um, yeah, but that's a good question that, that, that has gone. I'm sure that has gone on. I have a very, (laughs) my, my son is married to a gator and we love her to death. I mean, she's, she's like a daughter. And, uh, but man, I went over to their house one time where she had her family. They're all gators. And I was like, oh my word, man. (laughs) I mean, it ain't as bad as Alabama and Auburn. That's where it really Yeah, well, yeah. My, my wife went to Georgia. I'm a Georgia Tech guy, so that gives you a little oh, bit. Oh, we yeah. don't we don't compete that well with them other than academics, which they don't really care about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, uh, man, there's so many things, Don, but I'm kind of watching our time here. I'm actually looking at my list of items here. What's the biggest, what's the biggest drawback? What, what, what keeps people from pair? Give us a couple of quick tips that keep people, you mentioned the enemy. Some people may not understand when you say that, but what are some things that keep us distractions being busy? This right here, <laughs> holding up the phone, yeah. um, just a couple of quick things. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for us as we finish up this episode. Yeah. Um, so here are the things the enemy will use to try to, um, uh, keep us from praying. Number one, uh, he will try to make us feel unqualified. He will say, you haven't gone to Bible school. You're not on the platform. You're not the pastor. I can go down the list. Uh, you're really, you're really a engineer that drives a train or you're a uh, taxi driver and, uh, you don't even know the Bible. You can't even quote a verse, uh, unqualified. You're not qualified. I mean, he will use that over and over again. And in the book, I talk about two sisters that were, one was uh, crippled, they both were invalid. One was blind, the other crippled in their 80s, literally uh, were the catalyst to praying in a great revival in the Scottish Isles, the Hebrides. Uh, But that story can be told over and over again. I've, I've got stories of people that were nobodies, but yet they were the somebodies that we will only see the full weight of what they did in heaven because they they just believed that it mattered not because of their qualifications but because you know god doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called and the blood of jesus is the only thing that enables my prayer to have power it's not degrees and all that so unqualification the second one is disqualification the enemy will try to make you feel disqualified and there's several ways he does this. First off, he'll try to bring condemnation. 
I'm sorry you you messed up last week, your thought life last week. I'm sorry you're disqualified. I mean, you know, you've messed up. He ain't listening to you. Now, obviously, if we're living in open sin and we're in rebellion to God, that has to be restored. But the enemy doesn't like to see restoration. He likes to see condemnation. And he will bring condemnation to somebody to say, I'm sorry you've messed up. Sorry you've been married twice. I'm sorry, uh, you know, uh, I'm sorry you had an abortion. You could never pray. That is totally, totally, totally a lie of the enemy. And it's how the enemy works. It's how he started with Eve. He tricked Eve into thinking that she wasn't something by suggesting if she did something, she could become something that she already was. I mean, he's totally always mistaken identity. That's his power. And that's why the word is so important in getting our mind renewed and, uh, and all that. So you got uh, unqualified disqualification. Third thing, and this is to parents, is he will say, you can't pray for this to be restored. You caused it. You're trying to pray for your child to come back, but you were the bad parent. Uh, you're trying to pray for, you know, restoration in your life, uh, but you're the one that 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 broke the law or did this. I, there's so many different things, but you caused it. You know, um, now there is sowing and reaping. We know that is true, but, you know, uh, and we say, you know, sometimes people will say, well, you're you're praying that the harvest doesn't come from what you've sown. But when we've repented, when we've come before him, though your sins were like scarlet, it's like white. I mean, that's true. And I get that we've got to help people get through these voices. And again, the bad, you know, all of these things. But I see people that just literally think, okay, I'm the one that caused it. Why would he listen to my prayer? That's like me saying, okay, I did it, but undo it. Um, the other thing that the enemy will try to say is he will try to say, you can pray. Um, you know, I say the enemy, you know, the voice of the enemy, the devil, just any of that that comes. But he'll say, you can pray, but don't worry, it won't last. It won't last, you know. Yeah, they they might get better, but they'll eventually die, or they'll they'll get the disease back, or you know. And it's just anything and everything. I think I honestly think that the enemy fights really hard against two things: the word and prayer. Um, you know, worship as well. But um, you know, I I would say get to know get in a community that you feel comfortable with get in a community of people that believe in you that would encourage you get some grandparents okay that'll encourage you and build you up and your you know <clears throat> and and you know the pandemic one of the biggest baddest things about the pandemic was it separated us and now you know we're trying to find how do we have community community is so important and you will have community with people that aren't perfect, okay? And sometimes they'll let you down and sometimes they'll hurt you. I wish that wasn't so, but that, that's with all of us. But in that community, get around people that will pray for you, believe for you, and grow and just continue to grow. And you will find a door that will open in not a crazy mystical world of prayer, but a wonderful reality of prayer where prayer is back and forth and back and forth in relationship with God. And you can see his kingdom come in places on earth as in heaven in your life and the world around you. 
Yeah, that's good. I was actually going to ask you to give a word of encouragement, and I'm going to take that that you just finished up there with as that word of encouragement. Where can people connect with you or find the book? Just give us quick coordinates. We'll include it in the notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the books are available on Amazon. I I point to Amazon because most people buy Amazon. They get Prime. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but but uh, Praying for Rain is available on Amazon. Barnes & Noble as well uh, online. Uh, if they want to reach out to me, two ways they can reach out to me, and I'd, I'd love to hear from people, is they can email me. It's real simple. It's prayingforrain, the R-E-I-G-N, all together at gmail.com. Prayingforrain at gmail.com. I also have a YouTube show. It is found on YouTube under Coach Don Newman. And the name of the show, it's only been around a couple of years. I, but the name of the show is Living a Life Worth Remembering. They can find Living a Life Worth Remembering on iTunes. Uh, that's underneath the title of the show. But if they go to Coach Don Newman uh, YouTube, that channel, they'll see the episodes that I have filmed, just talking to all kinds of people about how you can leave a lasting legacy. Perfect. Thank you for that, Don. We'll make sure we include it. We are seek, go create those three words. I'm going to let you pick one of those words that resonates <laughs> with you more than the other two. Now is my last question oh, man. and why, and then I'll do a quick wrap and we'll be done. Yeah. I seek, seek sticks out to me. Uh, and the reason why is, is because, um, I, if somebody said, what's the key ingredient to moving forward in this life with God and, uh, you know, hunger, hunger. And, uh, and I hear that word seek. And I just think God stir up our hunger, make us, you know, make us seekers of, of God and his truth and his kingdom. And, and, uh, you know, if you're hungry, you know, you fixing to go get something to eat. You're hungry. <laughs> you're seeking something. And so God make us hungry so that we become those that seek. Excellent. Don, thank you. I appreciate uh, all your sharing. I probably got 20 questions that I wanted to get to. I strongly encourage people to get the book Praying for Rain. There's uh, a lot of great things in there. We One of the first lists that I love was what prayer is not. We didn't even get to that here. It's a great list and a lot of other things. And obviously in this episode, we've discussed how to pray for your sports team. That's one thing that's important that people important. need to know. And all so, hey, listen, folks, if you've listened in, I know this has been a blessing to you, but also I'm guessing that someone you know needs to hear this. Take a screenshot. If you're on YouTube watching, wherever you may be, share this episode. I know that it'll minister to someone because everyone, everyone needs to understand uh, some of the aspects, principles that we discussed in this episode. So I appreciate you doing that. We have new episodes every Monday here at Seek Go Create. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.